Hello, everybody. Welcome back, folks. This is Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Betsy. And I am Greer. And I'm going on a couple ghost tours coming up, and I'm really Wait, excited. Wait, when? So, okay, it might just be one in the near future, <laughs> but I, so I'm actually starting grad school at the end of the month, or end of next month, and so I decided for my going away at work, uh-huh. I was going to rope everyone into coming with me on the Old Town Alexandria <gasps> Haunted Pub Crawl. Yes. And we were trying to decide between two dates. One of which is tomorrow, so it's definitely not going to be that one. And the end of August, like my literal last day. That's going to be so fun. And I'm really excited because I've never gone, and it's like our local ghost tour, and I've never gone on it. I've done the regular tour, not the pub crawl. Yeah. So how does the haunted pub crawl work? Well, we're supposed to meet at this hotel, and then I guess we walk and do like a haunted tour and then I guess some of the pubs are also happen to be haunted and That's we stop cool. in get a drink and and I did a haunted pub crawl in Savannah but they you're allowed to carry your alcohol outside in that one so you could get a drink and keep going yeah. but it, we can't do that here so I'll probably have to chug and go <laughs> that's gonna be so fun yeah I'm really excited and it's very on brand for me and everybody at work knows that I'm into this stuff and they yes. know about the podcast and everything they'll so love it the, yeah so um, I'm really excited for that but I'm also I've convinced at least my brother and his girlfriend to, to come with me on the ghost tour in Beaufort North Carolina and I'm going oh. on Sunday to North Carolina and I'll be there for two weeks and we just have to figure out when we want to go. That's going to be good. I, I want to make a whole night of it. Like we're going to go eat dinner on the pier and like. That sounds like such a dream. <sighs> I'm so excited. And we'll have the pirate tour guide. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. But I'm so sad because the pirate invasion isn't until September this year. Why on earth? I don't know. People but are busy in September. You, but do you know what happens in September? What? Talk like a pirate day. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so that kind of fits perfectly then. Yeah, but I'm still sad. No, I because would, it's been I in August be as long as I can remember. When was did they have it last year? Because of, or no, because of COVID or when was the last mm, time they had it? I think they. I remember they canceled for COVID. Yeah. For a while, but then they brought it back. But you had to buy tickets, and usually oh, it's free. That's so, and it was like at a completely different location. It wasn't in downtown Beaufort like it normally was, so we didn't go. And I don't remember if that was last year or the year before that. But yeah, we haven't gone in a few years. Damn. Yeah. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, but I'm very excited for those activities. Um, I'll post the content, of course. Content I'm, queen. Content queen. You're very good about posting content. I <laughs> brings me joy. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to do a little sad girl oh, book yeah. club update? Yeah. Um, so I don't have much of an update right now because it's been a busy past couple weeks, so I haven't been good about making time to read. But I have read the past couple nights, so I'm still reading – Good Girl, Bad Blood, which is that second installment of that mystery novel um, in the Good Girl, like Good Girl's Guide to Murder um, series, and it's really good. I'm really enjoying it, and because I'm going to the beach, I'll have so much time to read. Oh, like yeah. I read the most when I'm at the beach because I'm just sitting out there all day long. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing that book. I'm bringing the last book in the series. I'm gonna bring the third Conjuring book. Oh, perfect! I'm just like ready to be scared, and also. <laughs> Um, oh, and I, I, I'm going to crack a coho book, as the kids call it. Oh, um, which one? Oh, Verity. Verity. Because yes. that's a spooky one, right? I, that's what you told me. I, it's well, like a mystery kind of. That my Yeah, my understanding is it's spooky in some way. Yeah, but that's like, well, I think that's like people's collective favorite coho book. Yes, I've heard the same. Um, I've heard a lot of her other books are really terrible. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. She's... <laughs> 
<laughs> but I think they're, the appeal is that they're easy to read. They're like pretty enthralling, yeah. but they're just seems like not a good great. beach read. But I have heard that Verity is like the most compelling out of all of them. Yeah, yeah. perfect beach read. Yeah, and that's also, a good beach selection. Yeah, and I'm 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 gonna add this to my list, but I didn't have time to order it before I went down to the beach. But my coworker told me about this book, and I think I told you about it the other day. It's called Close to Shore. And it was a, it's a book that I think it was either written or it takes place in the twenties and it's about a series of shark attacks that happened and they were able to conclude that it was the same shark and he was attacking people, he or she, I don't know. I don't know the (laughs) gender of the shark, but it was attacking people all up and down the East coast and it was the same shark. So it's like a serial killer shark book that, and I, I, Greer knows this, I, I'm a slut <laughs> for bad shark movies or even good shark movies. Jaws, Jaws actually might be in my top five favorite movies. I fucking love Jaws, but also, you know, the shallows, 47 meters down. 47 meters down, uncaged. Uncaged, deep blue sea, the Meg. Did we watch the shallows at my parents' yes. house? Yes, we did. Okay, in the basement? No. Oh, upstairs. The, that is bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, so I wish I could read that while I'm at the beach. And also, it is currently the end of Shark Week right now. So will it still be Shark Weeking when you're there? Or no? I think Shark Week's only a week, right? Oh, wait, but like, is it like (laughs) one, like Sunday night when you get there, will you be on Shark Week? maybe. Potentially. I also didn't realize that Jason Momoa is hosting Shark Week this year. Wait, that's like a huge, he's like a huge celebrity. I didn't he realize, is. I didn't realize Shark Week still carried. He's Hawaiian. I didn't realize that Shark Week still carried the same weight that like a real legitimate celebrity could <laughs> host it. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of strikes going on right now. So that's I feel like maybe that's the only <laughs> one he can Maybe he, that's the only, yeah, non-scab work he could get. Yeah. That's going to be Discovery those are, Channel. Those are really solid beach book options. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to to read a lot and have more to update you guys on next time. Excellent. My sad girl book club update is that I finished The Hobbit and I really liked it. It was very fun, very whimsical, a really good just like hero's journey tale. And I now get to watch the three Hobbit movies. So I'm looking forward to doing that at some point, eventually. I'm kind of slipping back into just watching Gilmore Girls again, so who knows when I'll be able to get around to that. (laughs) But I finished The Hobbit, and I since started a book called America the Beautiful, with a question mark at the end. And it's a uh, book written by a woman who quit her... It's like her writing about her life. She quit her job, and then took her stepdad's Prius and drove around the country visiting all these national parks. And it's very funny. And it's, um, if anybody has read any books by Bill Bryson, who was a older guy, who's a travel writer, um, it's very similar to his books, but from the perspective of a young woman in America and not a man in his fifties and sixties living in the UK. And I love his (laughs) writing. And so it's just a fun perspective on like travel writing. So I'm reading that. And yeah, that's it. I think the next book I want to read is going to be called, it's called Dead Wake, written by another author that I really like, Eric Larson, who wrote Devil in the White City, which is one of my my favorite books. That, I I think I started that book, but I never finished it. Because I think the beginning was a lot about the World's Fair, so it's like a kind of a slow burn. Yeah. But I know I, I know everybody that has read the entirety of it says it's like one of their favorite books. Yeah, so it's I, one I of my to, favorites. I need and to restart it. Because it is slow at the beginning um, with the World's Fair, and then obviously you go into it being really excited to read about H.H. H. Holmes, and that part is gripping, but the stuff about the World's Fair becomes so interesting. So 
yes. But the, I'm going to read a book by him called Dead Wake, which is about the sinking of the Lusitania. And I don't know <gasps> much about it, that story at all. So I'm really excited. That sounds really familiar to me. I think, was it a warship? It was a, I think it was a past, like a regular ship that was sunk Yes. By German war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this sounds. Yep. Yeah, yes. We learned about that in history class. I think. Yeah. So I'm excited for that, and that is my sad girl book club update. But I also realized because I watched the Silence of the Lambs and the Plane Home from Boise, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. I now want to read the Silence of the Lambs. Oh my god! I didn't know it was a book. Wait, hold on. I'm pretty sure it's a book. Wait! <laughs> oh, my oh my god! If it's Wait. not a book, I'm gonna be so fucking embarrassed. Hold Wait, on. but did you hear that somewhere? Or did, um, I might have made it up in my head. Oh, no. Oh, no. wait. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. It is a book. That would have been so embarrassing. Okay, perfect. I'd love to read The Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great book. I'm sure. Well, it's a great movie. Well. It is. Okay. So, yeah. Nice. That's my sad girl book club update. Wonderful. Again, you guys can send us your recs. Please We'd love do. to hear them. Yeah. Um, but now I'm going to tell a listener story before I get into my topic for the week. This is from our listener, Rico, and he sent this to us a while ago, actually a year ago, July 2022. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, but if you guys have been listening since the beginning or if you've just recently binged, if you remember in episode five, I talked about Bunny Man Bridge in Fairfax, Virginia, and Rico is originally from that area. And he sent me an encounter that he had at Bunnyman Bridge. Okay, I'm going to read his story now. It says, good afternoon, don't fuck with ghost podcast stars. Ooh. Thank you all for starting a great <laughs> podcast. It's refreshing and I enjoy your style. My name is Rico and I'm originally from Virginia, but now live in Austin, Texas. I also used to live in Clifton, Virginia, about 10 minutes from the Bunnyman Bridge. I've been there multiple times, and on Halloween of 2013, myself and a group of friends went down there to check it out. We brought cameras, and I brought a voice recorder that I had bought from Office Depot. Hell yeah. We had to approach the bridge stealthily, as these days the bridge is shut down, with police presence a quarter mile on each side of the oh bridge gosh. approach. Remember how I talked? Yeah. They still do that. Wild. On Halloween, um, because of the legend. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know it, go listen to episode five. Nothing happened, but we explored some around the area. We went home, and I began to listen to the recorder. I started to fall asleep when all of a sudden, from the voice recorder, a whisper came through. They're all dead. What? That's it. (laughs) But it sent shivers down my spine. Thank you for your great work. Y'all are awesome. Uh, Sir? (laughs) Well, I guess if he had more information to share, he would have shared it. I... I reached it back out to him before we recorded today to make sure it was okay that I yeah. read that story. And then I was like, do you happen to have the recording? Because that would be awesome to share. He didn't. Oh, damn. It sounded, it, this voice recorder sounds like like a, one of those. A crappy yeah, one. Yeah, that you can't really take. Like, it probably doesn't have, like, yes. a, um, um, a memory card or anything in it. So, but, oh, that would have been oh, so cool. <laughs> They're all dead. Would you not just shit your pants right <laughs> then and there? Like, you're trying to fall asleep and bam! <laughs> And then, wait, he goes on to say, um, I was excited to see the episode on Bunny Man, and it made me miss home. I'm hoping to go back at some point, and I'll send y'all a photo of the bridge. How could you ever go back after hearing that? Morbid curiosity. What's what's that phrase? Morbid curiosity? Yeah, that sounds Yeah, morbid curiosity. Oh, my God. I would not be inclined to return. Okay, but do you still want to do that Clifton um, haunted walkthrough this year? Well, (laughs) yeah. But I don't know. I, I can't remember if it passes the Bunny Man Bridge or not. It definitely has like a 
crazy looking bunny decoration from the pictures I looked oh at on their God. website. I mean, look, I'll do that. But I've ex- if I experience something sinister, I'm not I, going back. I can't right. return. No, 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 no. <laughs> one and done. You know. God, that's terrifying. Well, thanks for sending that story in. Yeah, thank you, Rico. <laughs> um, but now I guess yeah, Ooh. I changed my phone background to Ghostface, and it's it has like so a pink. Good. I don't know what that's supposed to be. If it's supposed like to be blood, blood but it's pink. I like it. <laughs> it's fun. Barbie. 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 This Barbie is scared teenagers. <laughs> um, okay. So I know we've been, you know, in a silly, goofy mood, but I am going to bring it down because this week I am covering Myrtle's Plantation, which obviously the things that happened there, horrible you know, atrocities were inflicted upon, you know, enslaved black people by the hands of white Americans in the antebellum South. So my story this week is super, super upsetting and disturbing. Um, So I just wanted to preface by saying that before I got into it. And, you know, I was a little bit wary about covering this, but I then reminded myself that these stories cannot be ignored. And I wanted to share with you the background and the history behind Myrtle's Plantation. So I'm going to, I just kind of want to like let you guys visualize what this place looks like first. Um, So I'm going to go through a lot of like what it's, first of all, it's a massive property. It's huge. It was built in 1796 by General David Bradford. The Myrtle's Plantation is a historic home and former antebellum plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. Sited on a hill, the eastward-facing frame house, which features a clapboard clapboard exterior, uh, was built in the Creole cottage style that characterized many Louisiana plantation houses in the 19th century. In the mid-1850s, the one-and-a-half-story house was extended south, almost doubling in size. The entry doors are surrounded with a transom and side lights, showcasing original hand-painted stained glass etched wow. in pattern after the French cross to allegedly ward off evil. Which Tough, the irony. It's so ironic. That's really I, gross. <laughs> I saw that, and I was, and I just added a dot, 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 and like I wanted to put that side-eye emoji. You yeah. Know? It's just... <sighs> Um, the main feature of the Myrtles is the 125-foot-long veranda that extends the entire length of the facade and wraps around the southern end of the house. Inside, the Myrtles has 22 rooms spread over two floors. Wow. It's That's huge. really big. The spacious entry hall runs the length of the house and features a French baccarat crystal chandelier weighing more than 300 pounds Jesus. and a cantilevered staircase, which cantilevered staircase, it's like... If you can see, like, a lofted space and then the staircase up to that, Mm -hmm. that's what that is. Okay. Um, To the left of the hall is the music room that is adjacent to the only bedroom found on the first floor. The principal rooms of the house are found to the right of the hall. The walls of the original house were removed and repositioned to create four large rooms that were used as identical ladies' and gentlemen's parlors, a formal dining room, and a game room. And the second floor features five bedrooms with with ensuite uh, bathrooms. The current plantation landscape is centered on a large pond that features a small island centered with a gazebo accessed by a bridge. And to the rear of the main house is the oldest structure on the grounds, now known as the General Store. This was where General Bradford lived while the main house was being built. Currently, it is used as the gift shop, laundry facilities, offices, and guest breakfast spot. To the south is another structure that houses a restaurant. The two ancillary 
buildings are connected to the main house by a 5,000 square foot old brick courtyard. Scattered elsewhere on the grounds are modern wooden cottages available to guests. And there was a whole list of, <laughs> I wrote that there was a whole list of architectural details that I didn't understand, <laughs> um, but that's the gist of the home's exquisite features and layout of the grounds. It's a deceitfully welcoming abode that doesn't seem to really acknowledge the horrors that took place there, which I'll get into. It's like a lot of the marketing of the website and just like how it is being sold to people now. Yeah. That's very common for plantations in the American South. Yeah. Which sucks. God, it's it's very disturbing amongst other things that I will talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I'm just going to kind of run down through the history of the plantation and like the different, there was a lot of turnover of owners, which I want to get through pretty as quick as I can, but it does involve a lot of deaths that occurred at the property, which will be pertinent to the hauntings later. So after the plantation was built in 1796, General David Bradford named it Laurel Grove and lived there alone for several years until President John Adams pardoned him for his role in the Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion in 1799, which I looked up what that was, and it was basically these people were protesting the tax on whiskey. Oh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, He then moved his wife Elizabeth and their five children to the plantation from Pennsylvania. Upon his death in 1808, Bradford's widow continued running the plantation until 1817 when she handed the management to Clark Woodruff, one of Bradford's former law students who had married their daughter Sarah Matilda. The Woodruffs went on to have three children before Sarah Matilda and two of her three children died in 1823 and 1824 of yellow fever. After Elizabeth died, Clark Woodruff and his surviving daughter moved to Covington, Louisiana, and left a caretaker to manage the plantation. In 1834, Woodruff sold the plantation, the land, and its slaves to Rufin Gray Sterling. Sterling and his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, undertook an extensive remodeling of the house, and this is when it doubled in size. They filled it with imported furniture from Europe, so they were rich. It was during this time that the name was changed to the Myrtles, after the crepe myrtles, which is a type of tree that grew in the vicinity. Sterling died in 1854 and left the plantation to his wife. Once the Civil War hit, the myrtles was robbed of its fine furnishings and expensive accessories. And in 1865, Mary Cobb Sterling hired William Drew Winter to help manage the plantation as her lawyer and agent. Winter was married to Sterling's daughter, Sarah, and they went on to have six kids, one of whom would die from typhoid at the age of three. The family fortune was lost in the aftermath of the Civil War due to it being tied up in Confederate currency, and the Winters were forced to sell the plantation in 1868, but would buy it back two years later. Um, Now, this is going to—I'm going to bring this point up a lot throughout this story, but in 1871, William Winter was killed on the front porch of the house, possibly by a man named E.S. Weber. Um, And after he was killed, Sarah remained at the Myrtles with her mother and siblings until 1878 when she died. Mary Cobb Sterling died in 1880 and the plantation passed to her son, Stephen. But because the plantation was heavily in debt, he ended up selling it in 1886 to Oren D. Brooks, who would sell it again in 1889. The plantation changed hands several times until 1891 when it was purchased by Harrison Milton Williams. And then in the early part of the 20th century, the land surrounding the house was divided among Williams' heirs, and by the 1950s, the house itself was sold to Marjorie Munson's. The plantation went through several more ownership changes in the 70s before being bought by James and Francis Kermine Myers, who ran it as a bed and breakfast. 
and the current owners, John and Tita Moss, continue to open the house for tours and overnight guests, which we'll get into later. And notably, in August 2014, a fire occurred in the historical general store, causing substantial damage. Myrtle's Plantation continues to be a popular tourist attraction due to its association with paranormal activity, which is a good transition. So, first and foremost, the Plantation House is rumored to be on top of an ancient Tunica Indian burial ground. Oh, interesting. Which, newsflash, good portion of the country is an Indian yeah, burial really. ground. Um, all, st- all stolen land, so. And karma's a bitch. I put that in my notes. <laughs> But there is a ghost of a young Native American woman who has been reported. And it is often reported that 10 murders occurred in the house, but historical records only indicate the murder of William Winter, which is the one that I just previously Mm -hmm. mentioned who was shot on his front porch. And I feel pretty strongly that those those nine other murders were not documented because they were enslaved humans. That was my first thought, exactly. So they're not going to put that into official records. No, not at all. So. Terrible. Yeah. During the Civil War, the house was ransacked by Union soldiers, and legend claims that three were killed in the house. Supposedly, there is a blood stain in the doorway roughly the size of a human body that will not come clean. Oh, wow. That seems to be a theme with a lot of hauntings. There's like a giant blood stain that won't Mm -hmm. come out. Despite scrubbing. Very Macbeth. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they don't want you to forget what happened to them. And you should not be forgotten. No. (laughs) Other claims state that the cleaners have been unable to push their mop or broom into that space at all. Jeez. Yeah. That would be scary. There is a famous mirror, like a famous haunted mirror, located in the house that supposedly holds the spirits of Sarah Woodruff and two of her children. According to custom, mirrors are covered after a death, but legend says that after the deaths of the Woodruffs, the particular mirror was overlooked. The uncovered mirror reportedly trapped the spirits of Sarah and her children, who are occasionally seen or leave handprints in the mirror. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's really freaky. That is freaky. I also feel like that could kind of be written off as, like, some little kid that's touring it, put their grubby fingers also, on, also true. on the mirror. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about this later, but Zach Baggins and his crew did go to the Myrtles Plantation, um, so I'll recap that entire episode, but... Um, they showed the mirror and talked about how there's like a lot of different smudges on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like hard to tell really if it's just like people are making faces out of the different smudges yeah. or if it's actually haunted. The plantation is also reportedly haunted by a young girl who died in 1868 despite being treated by a local voodoo practitioner. And I will get more into this story also, but she supposedly appears in the room in which she died and has been reported to practice voodoo on people sleeping in the room. Mm. Which, based on the story that I'm going to tell you later about this particular um, death, I don't, I don't think she's the one practicing the food. Okay, but we'll get. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's that's the other thing is like because this plantation is so old and so famously haunted. There's so many different stories, so it's like hard to pick out which ones are real and yeah, which ones aren't. Exactly. Um, but we'll kind of get into that with um, Zach and his oh, gang. Um, okay, so. There is also a ghost who reportedly walks, staggers, or crawls up the stairs and stops at the 17th step. And some have said that this is William Winter, the 
the only verified murder in the house. Legend states that after he was shot on the porch, he staggered into the house looking for his wife, attempted to climb the stairs only to succumb to his wounds on the 17th step. Oh, boy. So possibly the most well-known of the Myrtle's supposed ghosts is Chloe. Chloe was reportedly a, an enslaved woman owned by Clark and Sarah Woodruff. According to one story, Clark Woodruff had pressured or forced Chloe into being his mistress. Other versions of the legend have Chloe listening in at keyholes to learn news of Clark Woodruff's business dealings or for other purposes. One source I read um, talked about how she would listen to their conversations to be able to adjust her behavior to what Woodruff wanted to avoid his cruel punishments. But after being caught, they cut one of her ears off as punishment for eavesdropping. And she had to wear a green turban to hide it. And she was subsequently, like, kicked out of working in the house, and they made her go back to the fields. And she supposedly baked a cake for um, one of the Woodruff's daughters on her third birthday that that contained extract of boiled and reduced oleander leaves, which are extremely poisonous. Mm -hmm. And the reason she did what she did was supposedly to get work back in the house by redeeming her position by curing the family of poison. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, side note, apparently in the South during this time period, local healers were among the most respected of the community. If Chloe could heal the family, she would be safe from the harsh reality of working in the fields. God, it's so sad. Yeah. Like, to think that your only option is to poison I know. them. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. However, her plan backfired, and Sarah and both daughters ate the cake and died from poisoning. So this... This rendition of the story has been contested with official records stating that the Woodruffs died of yellow fever, as I had stated towards the beginning of the story. But I'm highly skeptical and a bit suspicious of quote-unquote official records in the antebellum South. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see a cruel racist family using yellow fever as an excuse to blame an innocent person of poisoning their family for the sheer purposes of taking their anger out on them. This is just me speculating, but like... It doesn't seem unlikely. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, Chloe was then supposedly hanged by the neck outside of the house for everyone to witness, then weighed down by rocks and thrown in the Mississippi River. Um, It's actually said that the other enslaved people were the ones to hang her, although some sources that I'm choosing to believe state that it was most likely to escape punishment from Clark Woodruff for harboring her, or I could even see him forcing them to do it themselves. I'm sure which is incredibly disturbing and horrifying and probably not uncommon. No, probably not. Regardless of the possible factual inaccuracy of the Chloe story, the paranormal activity became more noticeable beginning in the 1970s once it was purchased by the Myers family. Multiple guests and residents reported seeing the transparent and ghostly apparitions of a young girl wearing a green turban Mm -hmm. moving throughout the property. And in 1992, the owner took a photo that they believed captures Chloe's spirit. The photo was intended to be used to secure an insurance policy for the home in case of fire or uh, or other natural disasters, not to prove paranormal activity. The presence of a human figure within the photo was not discovered until it was developed with developed, and the owner claims nobody was in that area at the time the photo was taken. So of course I'm going to show you, you the photo. It? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean truthfully what else could that be 
That's not, there's, it, there's nothing there that would create that type of shadow. It's crazy also because the, you can clearly see the figure, but it's also translucent because you can see the yes. lining of the building behind her. Yep. And like you can like her. see her, her arms by her side and kind of yeah. holding her arms across her stomach. That is really, really freaky. Mm-hmm. Wow. So today the property is known as the Myrtle's Plantation Bed and Breakfast. They offer tours, including day tours, which are complimentary for overnight guests, uh, and they're $15 for, for all other guests, which, and the tour focuses on the history and the property, the history of the property, and they are roughly 45 minutes long. There are also evening tours. Um, these guided tours take place through the downstairs rooms of the main home and focus on the history, mystery, and folklore of the property and are an hour long. Tickets are $20, but they also offer private tours, and this seems really stupid because it's the exact same tour as the evening tour, except that you can, like, it can just be your party, but it you can have up to 30 people. That's really stupid. So it just seems like... Not worth it because it's also $119. And also, I'm sure the history that these tours are covering are about the families of the house they and are. not about the enslaved people that they tortured and killed on their property. No, this, this, yeah, um, this establishment, if you want to call it that, is I wouldn't say they're, they're not like outright hiding the fact that there were slaves there and like. Obviously, they talk about the Chloe legend, including mm-hmm. everything that happened to her, but they're not, like, owning up to it either. No, it's not a part of the history that they're choosing to tell. No. Yeah. There, You can also do free self-guided walking tours around the grounds, but, I mean, my overall impression from the website was just, it feels very gimmicky. It feels like the horrors the enslaved people suffered at this place is kind of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, and the welcome sign says the home of mystery and intrigue, Jeez, oh, which is just, like, it's like, you know, they're talking about the, the hauntings. Right. But it's like, that's not, that's not what this, that's not play, what this is. It's not what this no. is. No, like there's no mystery and intrigue behind what happened there. And I'm sure <laughs> maybe you're going to talk about this. I'm sure it's like a, a wedding venue and I'm sure, you know, you have people sipping oh their mint juleps so, on the front lawn. Yeah, and just, I actually didn't see anything on their website about weddings. I'm shocked. But um, there's like a nice restaurant there and everything. And I'm sure pe- people go there to have a good time. And that's just like so, so weird gross. to me and so not right. Um but now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give a little recap of the Ghost Adventures episode. Um, With our guys. This, Zach. this section will be a little bit more lighthearted just because Zach, Zach Baggins is so fucking ridiculous <laughs> and like I can't help but laugh at him. Yeah. Um, so the episode starts off with them meeting the general manager whose name is Teresa David and she just kind of shows them around but she's also in some interviews and stuff and she re- reiterates that there's a lot of uncertainty pertaining to the Chloe story and how the two Woodruff daughters actually died. Um, they then meet with the director of tours, a woman named Hester Ebby, who has worked at the planta- plantation for over 20 years. Wow. Um, when asked if she's had any experience with ghosts on the property, she gives an anecdote where she welcomed a man and his wife into the home as they were exiting their car. The woman trailed the man quite a bit and appeared to be walking alongside who Hester believed to be their daughter. When she said, oh, wow, you have a lovely daughter to the man. And he said, we have no children. This is a cheer up trip for my wife as we've recently gotten disappointing news from the doctor. Jeez. 
Hester went back outside to see if she could find the little girl, but nobody was there, and as she went to put her hand on the door to go back inside, she heard a small voice at the north end of the porch whisper, Hello there. Oh, God. Hester doubted herself at first, but the small voice whispered again, Hello there, confirming its presence. Oh, Oh, I hate that so much. Mark Leonard, one of the plantation's tour guides and resident historian, had his own experience to share. He was in one of the upstairs rooms reading when all of a sudden the bed began to shake as if there was an earthquake going on. However, when he looks up at the chandelier, it's not moving at all. So it wasn't an earthquake, whatever he was experiencing. He then showed Zach and his crew the scratches in the floor left from the movements of the bed, and they were huge. Oh, jeez. And I, I don't have a picture up right now, but I definitely feel like there's probably one out there on the internet somewhere. I'm sure there is. And I'll show you later, but it that was really scary to see. Um, this was also the same room where the two Woodruff daughters had died. There you go. They learn about other child deaths that occurred at the plantation. Teresa, who is the general manager, as I mentioned before, um, said that many people report seeing apparitions of a little boy and girl. The only official record the Ghost Adventures crew could scrounge up, however, was a death announcement in the Winter Family Bible relaying the death of their three-year-old daughter, Kate, who had passed away in 1861 of yellow fever. Kate's death is the centerpiece for another Myrtle's plantation legend. The story goes the family had called upon an enslaved woman called Cleo from a neighboring plantation to come and try and heal her. However, Kate ended up dying, and they had Cleo hung on the property who is also believed to haunt the plantation. So they called her Cleo. The the slave woman, yeah. Not Chloe. No, so there's Chloe and there's oh. Cleo. Oh. Two different oh, wow. two different girls. Two wow. Different, oh, okay. Ghosts. Okay. Yeah. So I had mentioned earlier that there had been a child that had died and yeah. um despite a voodoo ritual, and that's the story. Oh yeah. okay. So they touch on the murder of William Winter and how people will often hear footsteps on the main staircase, stopping right at the seventeenth step, which is where he is believed to have succumbed to his wounds. Zach tries to highlight a theory that William Winter was shot in a voodoo revenge ritual by Cleo from the beyond. Mm. So he does what Zach Baggins does and convinces his teammates to perform a voodoo ritual to find out the quote-unquote truth. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Um, Nick goes, Nick Groff, one of the investigators, goes, cool, I just think that'll open up a doorway for something (laughs) else to get (laughs) And Aaron just laughs and says, yeah, that might not be a good idea, dude. I, I like Aaron. Aaron's funny. But, of course, that doesn't slow Zach down no, anymore. Of he's He's going to find a way. So, first, Zach asks Hester, who I said earlier was the director of tours, if she knows anybody locally who could help them perform a voodoo ritual. And she very, very strongly says no. But then he calls their Ghost Adventures researcher, Jeff Belanger, and asks him if he knows of anyone local to St. Francisville who could help. And he says... Yeah, but why didn't you just ask Hester? She practically raised the most well-known voodoo guy in the area. So at this point, it feels to me like they're trying to paint this narrative that the workers at Myrtle's are being cagey and purposely not giving them information. (laughs) Which, like, um, I feel like some of these felt very, like, much like actors. Yes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it paints a story. So then Zach goes and tries to ask Teresa if they're allowed to do the ritual at all. And she basically says, hell no, and that the owners don't allow anything in the realm of voodoo rituals or seances or anything like that. Apparently, they don't even allow tarot cards. Wow. Yeah. I just, these people have their priorities all fucked up. But 
the way that um, like Zach and his team theorize is that they don't want them to awaken the voodoo priestess that was murdered on the property because they think she's going to unleash unleash vengeance upon them. That's the theory, As at she least. Should. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, if that had happened to me, I would want to, like, light this entire place on fire. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... I wrote, these men are ridiculous. Okay, so <laughs> since they aren't allowed to do the actual ritual, they decide to bring in another voodoo priest oh. as a trigger object. Oh, great. <laughs> Perfect. Cue Robbie Gilmore, the town's resident voodoo practitioner. Oh so God. they they interview this Yahoo. But okay, I <laughs> fully believe that this man was uh, an actor, but then I looked him up and he's actually a practicing okay. voodoo priest <laughs> but i'm <laughs> just like no way that this guy is an actual but he is um he's probably just uncomfortable in front of a camera because you know that's not that's not his job that's not his day job um so basically zach just interviews him and learns that voodoo is still a feared practice by a lot of the locals and that he does believe cleo's spirit is still on the property he lives by saying that quote the dead cannot harm, harm the living and the living cannot harm the dead but if the living tries to harm the dead the dead will harm the living. Mm, I so like just that quote. what's our podcast called? Don't, Don't fuck, fuck with, ghosts. with ghosts. There you go. Mic drop. I just motioned mic dropping, but you guys can't see <laughs> that. <laughs> so then the crew locks down on the property and starts their official investigation. Oh boy. They do their classic walk around asking the spirits to show them signs or make noises. To which they hear some things, notably an unexplained sound from one of the nearby rooms, and it kind of sounded like a loud click. Hmm. Then they try and collect some EVPs on their spirit box. They try asking the spirits what the name of the voodoo priestess was, who was murdered there, and asking if Cleo was with them, but they didn't get any responses. They move to the staircase, and Zach sits right along the 17th step where William Winter supposedly died, and asks the spirit box where Winter died after he was shot. The spirit box replies in what sounds like a female voice. Behind you. Oh. Zach repeats back, behind you? And the spirit go, spirit box goes, yeah. Oh, wow. And you could hear that? Mm-hmm. Like, God, and wow. It, and it really did sound like a female Ooh, voice. Oh, that's so creepy. Then Zach asks, who's the female behind me? And the spirit box replies something that sounds like winter. Oh, boy. They hear what sounds like footsteps going up the stairs and a door opening and closing. Then Zach goes off by himself to the room where the two girls died and where the bed was reported to have violently shaken, leaving scratches on the floor. Zach lies on the bed and says, Hi, I'm Zach. I'm from Las Vegas. (laughs) And then he hears two unexplained noises that sound like loud taps or clicks that he said he could feel on the bottom of his feet. Ooh. They later hear from the audio equipment that while they were around the staircase, a male voice yelled in a manner that sounded like agony, as someone might yell after having been shot. They also start to theorize that after the spirit box replied to Winter when asked who was behind them, that it could have been the wife of William Winter. Interesting. Yeah, and that she was kind of, like, stuck. That would be so sad. Like, she's stuck where her husband was murdered. Yeah, but she probably sucked, so. (sighs) You know, all these people suck. They owned human beings. Oh, you're right, you're right. I know. Um, So, since there seems to be a lot of activity around the staircase, they decide to take some still photos of the area. Immediately, they feel overwhelmingly heavy energy. 
As they're going down the stairs, they start hearing a rattling, shaking sound that's coming from the door to the parlor, and then Aaron notices that his camera malfunctioned. Their thermal camera was able to depict the cold mass behind the door, indicating that someone or something was shaking that door. Then they put a ball on the stairs, it was like a soccer ball, as a trigger object, and something launches it down the stairs. Like, it's just sitting on one of the steps, and then bam, it gets kicked off. That's so crazy. They drag this this ball. Oh, my God. I forgot about this part. So there's a night watchman, right? And they drag this poor night watchman off his duty post to show him the footage. (laughs) And he says it's probably the kids who think it's their ball. So, like, one of the many Mm. children that have died on the property. Mm -hmm. They thank the spirit box for being able to move the ball without a physical body. They're basically like, good job, spirit! Oh, gosh. (laughs) I bet the spirits loved that. Well, if they were little kids, probably. Oh, truly, yeah, they probably did. Um, And that was the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, in conclusion, it's definitely not a mystery as to why this house is recognized as one of the most haunted houses in America. The proof is in the pudding, and not only Chloe, but so many like her are still there to remind people that, uh, that the atrocities committed to enslaved human beings on this property all those years ago will not be forgotten and should not be ignored or passed off as just mysteries or intrigue. And that is the horrible story of Myrtle's Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. I'm glad you shared that story. Yeah. And I will make a plug for anybody out there who feels like you might be interested in visiting a plantation home. I They make it, I mean, as you talked about with the Myrtle, like, they make them look enticing. They're objectively beautiful homes on beautiful properties. They lure you in with, you know... It's like can, Southern Charm, Yeah, basically. Southern Charm, the hotels, the restaurants, the, like, the verandas you can spend time on. Um really push back against that urge to visit those homes because they are places of evil and plantations home plantation homes existed so that enslaved people could work the land and make money for their owners like that was their purpose but if you're interested in learning about the real like history behind um, plantation homes in the American South, I would recommend visiting a plantation called the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana. It's about an hour outside of New Orleans. I went there with Corey a few a few years ago before COVID, and the entire plantation property is a history, is a museum to the history of enslavement and a memorial to the enslaved people who were kept there and who perished on the property. Um, it it we did a guided tour. It was very similar on a smaller and different scale to um, when I visited Dachau outside of Munich, which mm-hmm. is a concentration camp. Um, in that it was a very somber, heavy experience, but it was great because it, they, I don't even remember if they talked about the family who owned that home. They basically were like, fuck that family. This is not their story to be told. Yeah. So if you're interested in visiting a plantation home, I recommend pushing back against that. And then maybe visiting a place like the Whitney plantation instead, because you'll have a lot of history to learn. Um, and it's stories that maybe you wouldn't have heard otherwise and probably certainly would not have heard at a place like the Myrtle. So that's yeah. my little uh, plug. That's that's thank but, you for that. Yeah, that's good. Information. But it's good to share the stories of places like the Myrtle yeah. through this perspective, because those are the stories that need to be told, like you said, at the top of your thing. Yeah. And obviously, like we can't prove that everything I talked about in these stories is pure fact, but everything we've said this on the podcast before like legends they're often based on truth Mm -hmm. and like these things were happening 
Maybe not to a person named Chloe. Yeah. Maybe not to a person named Cleo. But they were happening to human beings. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. Yeah. So with that, um, we will get into our paranormal protection tip of the week. Okay, so a great way to protect yourself while sleeping is to keep a mason jar of water next to your bed. You can even add a few pinches of salt for purity, but this is a really good way for capturing any negativity or spiritual activity going on at night. It can even help prevent nightmares. In the morning, you just dump the contents down the toilet and flush all that negativity away. I learned that one on TikTok. (laughs) That sounds great. I've been having some sleep issues lately. I should try that You should try it. You got a mason jar? I do, and I do have salt. And that's good because... I have my water bottle, which I keep on the side of my bed for hydration purposes. And then I can have the mason jar with salt a little yeah, farther sure, away. Yeah, make sure you don't reach drink for the it mason in the jar. Of the night. Yeah, that would be bad. Nice. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening to our episode. Uh, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG Podcast for all of our updates. Or you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG Podcast. Shout out to our patrons, Brittany, Nikki, Jeremiah, Tom, and Jennifer. And please be sure to send in any of your personal encounters to our email, dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have some time, be sure to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple if you haven't already done so, because that really helps us out. So remember, keep a mason jar of water by your bed if you can. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.